Scano Sego and Ibojo Kwekwe Tansi, good morning and welcome to Moment of Truth. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto at 106.5 and in Ottawa at 95.7. And of course, anywhere across Canada by downloading the Radio Canada app and uh, typing in our 106.5 FM or 95.7 FM. Welcome to the show and I want to welcome... Can he start the show today? Kenny, thanks for being here. It's great that you were able to drop in. Uh, yeah, such, thank you. Such for... a quick notice. Uh, yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys taking time with me too. So um, where do you want to start the conversation? What's going on right now? What do you? What's going on right now? Well, I had a great morning. There was birds chirping and that made me happy because uh, Toronto appears to be a large bed of ice right now. <laughs> yeah. I see a lot of people with hurt feet, like casts and stuff. And so I'm like, oh, you guys have had a cold winter. I'm from, I like, I live on the West Coast. So when I come here, I'm like, wow, it's very cold here. Where where on the West Coast? Uh, Seashelt, just oh. outside of Vancouver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I have family out there, so oh, I kind of yeah. know the area. I've spent yeah. a bunch of time out there. I, I'll tell you a little quick story. Sure. One, once I was visiting my brother, he lived in Port Coquitlam at the yeah. time. And I was Poco. going over to the island to visit the rest of my family yeah. up in the Comox Valley area. And uh, it was January, I think, something like yeah. that. And uh, so I got on the bus at Port Coquitlam yeah. to take me downtown Toronto, or sorry, downtown Vancouver, so yep. I could get the bus out to the ferry. Yep. It was snowing mm. a little bit. I can hear <laughs> A little that. bit, yeah. okay? I mean, a very little bit. Yeah. I saw 11 accidents by the time I got downtown. I could not believe it. Oh, yeah. They'll shut the whole city down for one inch of snow. Yeah. Nobody knows how to drive in the snow there. It's not just knowing how to... Yeah, it's also people... The tires look pretty bald on a number of cars. That's right. We don't don't put snow tires. (laughs) (laughs) People just stop working when it snows. (laughs) So have you always lived on the West Coast? No, I'm from Calgary, Alberta. And so I love the snow. Mm. Like we, me and my brothers and my friends, we used to... Like I love... It, big snowfalls too because mm. I grew up driving trucks mm. and so we used to actually go down to the rivers in Calgary because there's big parking lots down there and just do just pull wheelies and listen to music and just like <laughs> Voo. yeah so that's what I think of when I think of big snowfalls that's the fun side of winter yeah, exactly. when you can enjoy it. most people like to go out you know maybe do tobogganing or skiing yeah there's or that <laughs> No, there was that too. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm yeah. glad to hear that you're used to it. But yeah, yeah. we have had a cold winter in Ontario. Yeah. Uh, ice. We had some freezing. No, it looks know, awful. Stuff. So, so that's what you're seeing with this stuff. It's uh, yeah. getting. It's warming up though. Uh, I imagine the trees are in bloom on the west coast. Probably by the time I come back. Mm. Oh, you've been here for a while. Just a few days, uh-huh. and I'm still here more a few days. And you're here for. Uh, seeing family, we. Uh, I have a brother who died recently, so at oh, work. Oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's really intense. Um, so I'm here seeing family and working. I had a show with Songbird mm. Association mm-hmm. um, that was amazing, and it was sold out. And Mishi Me was there, and so that yes. was meaningful. Um, Elena Hart and Moscow Apartment. So yeah, we're just trying to stay kind of positive as a family mm. i have a new record my record came out the day my brother died it's mm. called feed the fire yes yeah so i'm trying to come back to i'm trying to feel a s- sense of celebration even though there's massive loss at the For same sure. time it's very interesting and i guess it's life well you've had a, a couple of yeah you know, it's been things a, that have mm-hmm. happened to you in your life that have sort of 
extended those polar regions to yes. extremes for you, right? Yeah, You've that's had your right. own personal uh, tragedy and accident yeah. that happened. Yeah, it's been a really intense, it's been four years of um, a lot of challenge. And mm. so, yeah, I'm just trying to focus on the positive and, I don't know, I guess grief and, and injury and accidents and stuff, those types of things, um, I feel like the more sadness and challenge I feel it actually does help me understand other people better which feels comforting because if you don't know those feelings you can't relate to what other people mm. experience too so mm. so yeah so you know your your new album Feed the Fire got some great tracks on it of course thank and you. we play uh we play your material thank here and it's you. great to hear I appreciate big that. world love the song thank love you it. I love the video. Thanks. <laughs> it's fun. It's such Yeah, fun. that's Rico Amesquita. He's been a friend of mine for about 30 years. And uh, we just get each other. And he just had mm. fun with that. Him and Matt Leaf, they shot it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was fun. And, yeah. and it was nice to see a video that sort of didn't have, uh, you know, anything but fun happening in it. Thanks. And, and the, the ending, which is sort of a, yeah. what? Still don't be about pizza. That's great. Yeah. I, I loved you. it. And he, he really did. It reminded me of uh, Fat Boy Slim, you know, cool. the, that dance video. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. It reminded me of that. Cool. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I encourage people to go check your, your songs out Thank online. You. And, uh, and And so, listen, tell us... Um, you know, take us back. As I said, we, sure. you had this this tragedy in your own personal life that happened to you well, in an accident. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I, I had a car accident um, about four years ago that took me uh, about three years to recover from. I'm still recovering from it, but I, I, I feel a lot different than I used to. So I had an accident that, uh, as a lot of people who have been in impacts can relate to, soft tissue inju- injuries continue to rebound. So the body takes an impact and then the body, the afterwards there can, a lot of things can go wrong, which is what I experienced. So Mm. yeah, like my left arm stopped working. It still doesn't work properly. Like for guitar, I can't play guitar Mm. and, um, I have a big scar down my spine and, and I had a brain injury and my pelvis stopped working. And so it was really quite a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. You said you felt different. What did you mean by that? Well, I feel, I still continue to feel very different, actually. And my older brother, he and and my family members, people who know me well, they, they note a change in me, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I would describe the change as, like, it was a very... Uh, destabilizing... And humbling, like basic things like walk, walking became, with brain injuries, you can't see depth perception sometimes. Okay. So things like walking through a room became a real challenge sometimes because I couldn't tell if the floor was slanted wow. or straight. Mm. Um, things got really loud for mm. a few years. My body was always in a, like a kind of a massive state of, pain so much that I couldn't understand people when they were talking mm. lots of changes like that and sure. those mm, those gave me a new appreciation for my mobility okay yeah right sure so my body's <laughs> starting to work again now and I'm like wow I that's because some people can never leave that state yes. so that was the thing of yes where it's like it really kicked my butt I was mm-hmm. like man you need to be a better person for yeah. 
you need to be more aware of people's mobility challenges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what did it do do for your perception of music, or how did that change your idea of you know that moving forward? Yeah, music became a really difficult. I couldn't listen to music, especially if there were long tones in music. Mm. So anything with tonality would make me feel like the like I was going to pass out or blackout. Wow. So in a lot of I couldn't like with my own music it put everything on on hold. I was able to write but with a co-writer and so it was very punctuated moments and mm. but I couldn't enjoy music. So if music was on anywhere I went, I was like I can't mm. be here cuz I'm going to uh would feel it would feel like I was um going to puke or puking even mm. if I wasn't. Mm. So my brain would understand music as nausea or slipping or moving. It was awful. Wow. Yeah, awful. Wow. Um, what was what was the Kinney Star music like before? What were you doing before the accident? How did that change after? What, well, what? it's still the same. You know, everyone okay. who's listened to Feed the Fire, which is the record mm-hmm. that just came out, um, they note that it's very similar. So I'm st- I still have a similar spirit. Like it didn't take mm. my the accident t- didn't take my spirit. It took my ability to perceive things. Okay. And it changed my ability to perceive things. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Every, I I feel like we are very resilient. Humans yeah. are very resilient. I've heard that. Yes, yeah. I've heard that. Several people say you, that. Yeah, like you either die mm. and the next stage of life, ta- is, you know, you go into the next stage of existence, whatever mm-hmm. it is, or you become stronger. Mm. And mm. I think a lot of people would identify that change too from adversity and 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 did you turn that strength turn that into music did you push that into your music no that strength uh... well actually maybe i mean i guess that would be up to others to interpret and it would also be something i would probably understand maybe in 10 years okay yeah okay Mm. um so what have you been up to when did you start getting back into music after that well, I continued to work, but I had a co-writer with me, mm-hmm. so I scored a movie called Edge of the Knife, which is the first right. Haida language film feature film to be made. I scored that film right. with a collaborator, Doug Romano, who mm-hmm. also wrote with me for Feed the Fire. Mm. So basically, I extended my team in order to be able to continue working. So is he, he a took care of too? yeah, yeah okay. he took care of a lot of. He has helped me with the things that I cannot do, mm. so I can still. I still have the vision of a producer because I've produced mm-hmm. forever, mm-hmm. but I work with him now and more people. And so that's an, an amazing part of being injured too, is that it forces you to extend your support base. Right. And that's important. Yeah. So I learned a lot. Yeah. Nobody, uh, nobody is an island, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I've always had amazing crew, like amazing people around me to work with and a lot of supporters and great friendships and stuff like that but it's different when you realize like you know just yeah it's just good to get your um skill set altered radically Mm. interesting that's what i feel yeah 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 that's interesting uh you mentioned uh a film and things i'm just wondering you want to Mm. talk a little bit about the little animated video that which one? The the one about the Hido. The, uh, oh, yeah, that's yeah. called Save Our Waters. Yeah, that's yeah. stop frame animation by yeah. Amanda Strong and yeah. Galjitika. And uh, 
yeah, Spotted Fawn and a bunch of people worked on that mm. product. And we were just, yeah, that's just like an anti-pipeline video that was really fun mm. to and laborious <laughs> to make. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Stop animation. Yeah, but yeah, Save Our Waters, it's just a song that I use. I try to use it at every show. I don't always succeed, but I, mm. I really feel like we lack education around water. Yeah. As a society, uh, like all societies, mm. I'm not, it's, it's, there are little pockets of people who care about water, but in general, like my niece told me recently, she's in grade 11. I said, how much information do they give you about water? The water table you're using, the water around you, have you ever, what classes do you have about water? She said, auntie, we've never had any classes about water. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? You're in the city of Toronto and you've, they've never taught you anything Mm. That blows my mind. You know, we just uh, featured uh, a little bit of talking about water yeah. on uh, on International Women's Day. Good. Uh, there was a passing of a of a water mm -hmm. protector mm -hmm. just recently, mm -hmm. and uh, and so we we wanted to honor her a Good. little bit, and we we spoke about her work in in uh, in protecting the waters and and all the walks yeah. that she did around the Great yes. Lakes and all those kinds yes. of things. Yes. So we had a wonderful show. Uh, you know, uh, talking wonderful. about her, talking about her work, and and the two women that joined me on the show yeah. uh, also did a great job, and it was I thought it was a great way to to honor women and especially Mother Earth. We ended up talking about Mother Earth, yeah. So, again, you know, so um, so listen, we have to take a short pause, okay? But don't go away because we have more to talk about. Gotcha. And don't you go away listening to this. We'll be right back on Moment of Truth. That was Big World on Moment of Truth and Element FM by Kinney Starr, our guest in the studio this morning, Kinney. Thanks again for coming in today. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you. And, you know, uh, we have listeners in Toronto and Ottawa and, cool. and many people right around perhaps the globe as well as across Canada listening. So uh, you're here in the big smoke uh, yeah. for a few days. Yeah. But that song, uh, uh, you know, um, that we that we just heard, uh, tell, us, uh, tell us about it. Yeah, that was a song that was written really quickly. We, Doug and I had that groove going and those lyrics came out very fast because we had been laughing a lot about this, the state of U.S. politics. Mm. So it was kind of like, a lot of times as, a, as an artist, people will, they expect, well, they enjoy, people enjoy the work of artists, mm -hmm. but a lot of times people will say, can you write a song about this? Or like, can you do make a movie about this? And and I always think like you go get it. Like <laughs> yeah, right. I'm do, I'm working like you know I'm self employed. You got, you got the idea. I'm an yeah, entrepreneurial. Right. Yeah, I yeah. Ma I taught myself how to play music. Mm. You can do the same. Mm. And that's why that song is like go get it. It's a good day. Go okay. get it. I'll make it even better now. Because that, that's also about uh, trying to come at life with positivity. Yeah. I'll make it even better yep. now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I really feel like people are, we are anesthetized by mm. the amount of information we get on ourselves and everything. And it makes us really uh, apathetic because we're like, well, I'm, I'm going to watch Netflix tonight instead of, and I'm guilty as charged, like, and so that's why stuff like that anthemic things, I find them fun to write because it's a reminder to myself, too. Mm. It's like, come on, get up. Like, what are you going to do? Cry all day? Like, mm. life is sad and hard. Get up. So, yeah, social media is important for, for things, especially mm -hmm. in business and those kind of things. Yes, with, with, absolutely. But, but how do you treat it personally? Do you, do you find you spend too much time on it or yep. do you try to avoid it? 
yeah, I find I spent I, I left Facebook a year ago, mm. and my company, my PR people and record company run the artist page, but I left it. I found it was taking up a lot too much time, mm. and it was making me worry about myself a lot. Uh, yeah, and also <laughs> like you know, I've been this, I've been subject to you know month long hate threads putting me down for my. Uh, image my music my whatever mm. and it can be I feel like it can be very um, it really makes us doubt ourselves as people to mm. overuse social media because it's an ugly place yeah. and so now I use Twitter and Instagram and I find them a bit more hopeful and quick brief they don't take me the way Facebook used to take me but my ultimate goal is to be off of social media by the fall of next year. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I left Facebook a year ago. I will tr- keep trimming it back until right. hopefully I can just leave it because I want to have more space in my brain to create. Right. Ultimately, would you would you hand that off to your to your business people? To, to I don't know. I mean, maybe. Yeah. But I I do know it. It takes up more of my thought time than I would like it to, mm-hmm. and and I'm pretty. I'm pretty like disciplined in general because I run my own business. I have to be disciplined, sure. but it it can take c- control of my self esteem sometimes, and I'll feel like, oh God, you know, I'm wh- that's a, that's a terrible photo. Why am I so ugly? Or right. all, all of the, or like just comparing myself to other people and feeling like a loser and all those th- feelings. I don't feel if when I'm in nature or sitting with a kind person having a good conversation. Mm. I hear you. So. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's one of the things that you just and all you have to do is yeah. put down the phone. That's right. <laughs> all you have to do, folks, is I just know. put down the I phone. I know. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Just don't keep looking at it. That's right. That's the danger. Yes. Um, great. So, so something we else we haven't talked about. Yeah. And you mentioned nat- nature in the West Coast mm-hmm. and what a, what a wonderful place to to be and to uh, to live. Uh, your your indigenous heritage. Mohawk. Mohawk. Yeah. From. From- from out here, New yeah. York Valley. Okay. So I'm like, my family's Dutch Mohawk and we okay. settled. And this is actually a really interesting conversation. Well, m- my family's primarily white. Yeah. But my indigenous roots are Mohawk. And this is an interesting conversation because I'm fascinated by uh, the, particularly the New Netherlands area. Mm. And something I learned recently about that community is that. In the first 150 years of contact, 18 languages sprung up. 18 languages, and only three of them are still uh, alive and active, which is like Michif, uh, whatever, I don't know, maybe just Mohawk language, like Southern Mohawk language, Mm -hmm. and I don't, Creole. So, But apparently in the first 150 years of contact in that area, 18 languages sprung up. Wow. I know. That's very quick. I mean, yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot, and I and to be um, to be honest with you, I have a I have a dream of doing a master's thesis in Mm. in the first actually the sort of three hundred years, one hundred and fifty years before contact. Right. So European history and indigenous, like the the rules of and laws of the land, and then the first one hundred and fifty years of post contact. So New Netherlands, yeah. Where is that exactly? New York Valley, New York the Valley, Valley. Mohawk Valley, the, the, the Valley of the, the New York lakes and, yeah. and all that stuff. I know are yeah for like yeah. Six Nations. Ah, mm-hmm. fascinating. Yep. 
Wow. So do you know any of uh, your, your, your heritage, though? From Do you know family members? Do you know the language at all or, or anything more I than know that? a the little clan? bit of language. Yeah. I've seen, uh, I wouldn't say I know my clan, no. Mm, okay. No. And I know a little bit of language, but not enough. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're making well, me sad as I speak boat. about it. I can feel my emotions us, rising and just being like, boat, yeah. oh, I'm such a loser. Like, And there's a reason for that. I know. We all know about. I so. know. <laughs> anyway, um, so listen, tell us more about yeah. the album, you know, Feed the Fire. And, Feed and, the Fire. Uh, and tell us more about the songs on it. Yeah. What are, you, what are you intending to do with it? You know, it makes me really, it makes me really emotional, actually, to, to talk about the record. Like, I can feel... I mean, I feel like I feel like Feed the Fire should be about what it was written about is like us going deeper inside of ourselves um, to who we are, like really like when we're alone in nature, that's what it's about, Feed the Fire. That's what that song exactly is about. But I'll tell you that I feel so disconnected sometimes from who who I am as a person and that's because my brother died the day the record came out yeah so it makes me feel so many so much sadness like i i have a really mixed relationship with for sure who you know it's like i don't even know i don't even know who i who i am right with that change sure sure that's going to be a process for you, right? It's going to be, yeah. But I, I somehow think that as sad as that is and unfortunate it is for the loss yeah. of your brother, and I, I'm very sorry for, for mm. you and your family, that, um, that that something will come out of that. Yeah, exactly. You know, it will be positive for you, maybe in performance, maybe in that you'll gain a greater attachment to that at some point later on. Yeah, I think maybe, and like... I don't know. Records have always kind of, they've always kind of marked. When I, when I look back on, on records, they mark times, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it, this record will later in retrospect, you know, like I just feel like there's so much to learn about everything. Mm -hmm. And I will learn something about this time of my life and how it relates to the record later. I'll understand it later. Mm. Uh, in, in, in speaking and, and hearing what you're saying, I did have a question, and I'm not yeah. sure if, if it's fair to ask you this at this point in time, but I'm just wondering, is, is Kenny Starr the person different from Kenny Starr the performer? The songwriter that we hear the music, you know. I I I hope so because I hope that with songwriting I put my strongest side forward. Mm. It, m- that's what I want to give to people is my most confident side. My least confident side is 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 not gonna go on on record too much. Mm. No, yeah. Because I mean, it's not like I don't write about difficult subjects, but you know, like. I can't always be, yeah, 
I don't know. I feel like the role of music is to make people feel good, not bad. So I try not to put, you know, the moments that are full of self-doubt and I try to leave them alone for songwriting. Yeah, I think I've seen that in a number of your songs and a number of the videos you you choose to put together with those songs. Um, The name of the song escapes me at the moment, I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, the, but there is one, um, mm-hmm. that I saw with a group of, uh, of, uh, uh people dressed in drag and coming out mm-hmm. right? and, and, and that, what was the name? Oh of that yeah. One? That's, um, that's I'm ready. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's uplifting. Mm. Yeah. That's a good example of taking like that song is about, well, that moment of when you doubt yourself and you're full of questions and you're just like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to make a difficult decision right now. Here I go. I'm ready mm-hmm. to walk away. I'm ready. It's a good day. That's that thing that we all experience where we're like, no, you know what? This is it. I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm going to mm. make, make a change, whatever it is. That, that's what that song is about. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I wanted to play <clears throat> a word association with you, if you don't oh, yeah. mind. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. So if I say the word <laughs> roller derby. <laughs> Hot chicks. <laughs> so, of course, I specifically got that from video I saw online of you doing this song, right? About, uh, and talking about roller oh, derby. Oh, roller derby. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so if I say roller derby now, what do you say? Well, roller derby at that time that was the a working name of um of a of a future project that has not mm. transpired. Just like okay. my master's thesis has mm. not transpired yet. Right. There's so many things I want to do, but now roller derby. Yeah, roller derby makes me think of strong, aggressive, tough chicks that would like pummel me if I tried to get in the ring with them. Uh, the the video I saw at the time because you did this performance yeah. right yeah um, that you just on my guitar yes yeah yeah that's just a live <laughs> yeah, it's a, a friend called that live version yeah that's yeah that's kiss it right <laughs> yeah I was I really feel like in um, in porn we don't see women receive proper treatment yeah. and satisfaction right. and so we talked about how mm-hmm. that had changed over years. Yeah, uh, and and the relationships, and and I guess you, you specifically, I think what you said was uh, roller derby. Uh, in that description, was like uh, I think it had the pers- women's per- perception of sex or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I um, yeah. I believe that like women's, if I re- I think a lot of women experience. Well, a lot of humans we have. Uh, um, we're not allowed to be ourselves enough. We're judged or mm. put into, and it, when you look at uh, porn, the role of it is generally to satisfy the viewer, and through that we see it's easy to see if obviously a man has mm. achieved mm. or whatever you want to. I don't know what I'm allowed to say on radio, but <laughs> right. but you can't for women. I a lot of women porn actresses say they don't have real orgasms, and mm. so we're our people like humans who use porn for sexual education do not understand how to satisfy women. And I feel that we are taught that women are not allowed to have orgasms. And I think it has a huge, a very 
negative psychological impact mm. on women. Mm. Interesting. And the biology of it is understood and studied because orgasm is connected closely to the neurology of the brain. Mm. So when you have a woman who doesn't receive that release, some women throughout their lifetime, then I, I think that the biology and the chemistry of the brain is negatively affected. Mm. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you <clears throat> to actually do that. Song. Awkward. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Sorry, everyone. Sorry. No, okay. I'm awkward. It's okay. <laughs> uh, well, listen, you know, uh, uh, we are quick and quickly rolling out of time okay. because we do have to uh, get on to the second part of our show. We're going to bring on our uh, Caroline O'Neill from our Ottawa yeah. uh, studio. We're going to talk about some stuff going on in Ottawa. Okay. So I want to thank you for coming in today, but I just want to also say, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to mention? You got some up, something, upcoming gigs or stuff that you want to talk about or... Um, no, I mean, I mostly work in mentoring. Oh, yeah. So those are not flashy things. No, but they're important. Yeah, I feel they're very important. But and it's interesting because when we used to try and we would do album cycle, like press cycles for album releases Mm -hmm. and press would be like, so what's coming up for you? And I'd be like, I'm mentoring, you know, this person, this community, this place. And they're like, no, 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 no. I mean, shows. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, but mentoring is really important. So yeah. I'm mentoring uh, like some great artists like Kaylee Cardinal okay. and Jasmine Netsana. Uh-huh. They are part of my like mentor circle coming up. Uh-huh. And uh, they're very, Jasmine Netsana has a very regal presence. And I feel kind of like she has a, something similar to what I would identify as like Will, Will Rogers had. Mm. Uh, like a dignity and stuff that's really interesting. And then Kaylee Cardinal has like a real boisterous, uh, uh, like a really fierce presence. And so I'm uh, very much looking forward to working on songs and Mm. mentorship with them. So that's the type of stuff I like to do. Cool. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. And congratulations on the new album. Thank you. And all the best of luck. Thank you. I really hope you can come back and, and visit with us again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's, yeah. a, it's been a pleasure. And yeah. really nice meeting you. I'm glad we had a chance. Oh, to good. Talk. Thank you. So, w- listen, you want to go out with a song? What song? Uh, from something from. Uh, how about Jaded Angel with Joey Styles? Sounds cool. Cool. And Scano Sego, and welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. That was Kinney Starr we were just listening to prior to the break off her uh, and the title off of her new CD, Feed the Fire. Great song. Great songs from Kinney, actually. Uh, it was great that she was able to stop in this morning and take some time to spend with us while she was in the area. She'll be heading back to the uh, West Coast in a few days, but it was uh, wonderful to meet her and talk with her uh, and and hear about her story and what she's up to. But right now on the line from Ottawa, we have our very own Caroline O'Neill. Good morning, Caroline. Good morning, David. How are you? Good. How are you? Uh, how are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for having me to join you today. You're it's always a pleasure, and it was a pleasure to see you last week when you stopped into the studio at yeah, a surprise. Yeah, we got to meet in person for the first time. Yeah, you got to see the studios, and I uh, can't wait to get up there to see your studio at some time in the near future. Yeah, we look forward to having you up. So, uh, Caroline, you are our eyes and ears up there for the Ottawa area, specifically, yes. you know, for uh, for what's going on on the Hill. Um and I know there's a there's a couple of things that we can talk about uh, Jerry Butts and some of that that t- that stuff that happened, uh, and also the the ITK issue with the apology. But yes. I'm just wondering is, is there anything uh, that you are aware of just from the the event that happened on the weekend with the the unfortunate uh, crashing of the 
the the plane and and uh, you know has anything developed any further in terms of what and how they might be dealing with that in terms of uh, you know grounding the planes or have you heard anything new since yesterday? Yeah, so I had the chance to report on it this morning, David, and there really isn't a lot new in terms of Canada's stance. Mm-hmm. As of right now, our transport minister Mark Arno, Mark Arno has said that he would file on that plane right now. He doesn't yeah. feel that it needs to be grounded at this stage. He is waiting to hear what comes out of the plane's black box and also yeah. waiting to see what comes out of this investigation. That being said, other countries are banning the planes. I believe yeah. Ireland became the most recent country about half an hour ago to say that it will be banning that specific uh, model because, of course, this is the second model to come down in about a five-month time frame. Exactly. Um, and, and, and yes, you're right. There are a number of countries now getting on the uh, that list of, mm-hmm. of banning the planes from flying. Um, now, uh, so that's it for, for anything new on that, like you just said, and that is the latest that, uh, they got the black boxes. So, uh, they that just is, retrieved yeah. those, what, yesterday or this morning? When, when did they get those? That would have been yesterday. So they're waiting to go through those now. And mm-hmm. I think Mark Arno said was that, you know, there could be an explanation that comes out of that, right? We don't know yet mm-hmm. what was said on the plane, what was going on with the pilots. We don't know anything about a potential tech issue that could have been discovered. So there are definitely a lot of unknowns right now, but Canada is certainly taking a different approach than some of the other regulatory bodies and other governments right now. Now, I know the one thing he did say about uh, that we do know what happened in the last accident. We, we, he, I remember him saying that, but I don't remember hearing about what happened. Do you remember hearing what happened in the, the, the previous accident? I don't remember hearing about that myself, Um I think that that some of those unknowns are part of what scares people. Mm, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure what it was that allowed people to still be on that flight, and I don't recall hearing about that either. I think part of that speaks to our news cycle. Things move so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that for sometimes sure. Sometimes you'll hear about something, but we tend to not always follow up on it. Maybe we can. Uh, maybe we should both yeah. do that. We'll both yeah, do that on for the later on. Crash, for sure. um, so listen, uh, let's move on to some other things. What What else can you tell us about uh, what's going on there? You You said you might have some some further information about uh, the uh, uh, Jerry Butts and and what was said there. Or? Right. So the last time that I had the chance to chat with you, that would have been before Jerry Butts testified, but after Member of Parliament Jody Wilson-Raybould testified. And we spoke a little bit about her testimony and what we thought would happen moving forward. And since then, I did have the chance again to be in the room when Jerry Butts, Michael Wernick, and Natalie Druin testified. It was a very long day, but also a very illuminating day. Mm. So what, um, what, there were some, what did ahead. you see or learn from that experience that perhaps the rest of us that are only hearing about it, you were right in the room, what, what what, what did you take away from that? So if I were to kind of break it down testimony by testimony, and if I looked at Jerry Butts, my actual key takeaway from his testimony was a lot more questions than answers were raised for me, and I think mm. probably for other officials and journalists about the cabinet shuffle itself. So that mm. was something he touched on, mm. where he spoke about Scott Bryson retiring, Jane Philpott being moved, and the decisions about Jody Wilson-Raybould. And it was very interesting, but I did feel that there were some answers that we didn't quite get from that. Mm. For people who may not remember, he had said that originally the plan had been to shuffle Jane Philpott over to Treasury Board. She has now resigned from that role. And then shuffled Jody Wilson-Raybould over to Indigenous Services. And he actually said in his testimony, David, that she was the right and perhaps only person who could do that, and that was Minister Wilson-Raybould. But mm-hmm. she ended up turning down that cabinet portfolio, which is incredibly rare. Yeah. And the reason she did that is because she has been opposed to the Indian Act her entire professional life and career. And I thought that was such a 
it might not have seemed kind of as big compared to some of the other scandals, but for a government that has really positioned itself as a government committed to reconciliation, it's a huge blunder, at yeah. the very least, I would say. Mm. Yeah. And I think that it really raised questions about, you know, Jody Wilson-Raybould was one of the star cabinet ministers, and to not know a key fact about her and to essentially pin your entire reconciliation agenda on the wrong person, mm-hmm. to me, is quite shocking. Yeah, and, and she she said something in regard to that, didn't she, in terms of, you know, not wanting to take that position and about uh, uh, it being compared to apartheid. Yeah, so um, Hayden King actually mentioned to that, that would be like asking like a South African to administer apartheid, right? Yeah. Um, she has worked her entire life uh, her entire professional life opposed to the Indian Act. And that is something that she's even been quite vocal about as a cabinet minister herself. Mm. Um, in April 2016, she said that the Indian Act is not a suitable system of government. She said it's not consistent with the rights enshrined in our Constitution. And it is also not consistent with the principles that are set out for the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. And it is inconsistent with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report. So she was saying all of this. This is something she said the whole time, David. She mm. said that before she joined politics, and she said that after she was a cabinet minister. And again, so the fact that this was something that they they assumed was a role she could take on, I think really speaks a lot to what may be going on with reconciliation in the inner circle. Well, the fact that you just uh, pointed out that she had been saying this all along, and, and then they offer this position to her in regard, regardless of, of the comments she'd been making all along, it makes you wonder what they were thinking to begin with, you know? Exactly. The other thing, too, that I found from that part of the testimony, David, was he never finished explaining how Seamus O'Regan came to be in that position. Mm. He talked about why Wilson-Raybould couldn't stay as an attorney general. He said that they didn't want to set a precedent that cabinet ministers could kind of fight for portfolios or choose. He said that it might be an invitation, but essentially you are supposed to take that position. But to me, I felt that there was a gap in how Minister O'Regan ended up with that role because, as most people will tell you, having Jane Philpott moved was a huge loss and a lot of people viewed her as an ally. And he himself even said that to him, the saddest part of this is in the whole story was that Indigenous people have been sent precisely the opposite message from the Prime Minister mm. and that the message that the Prime Minister intended was we're committed to reconciliation. And I thought if that's what is upsetting you the most about all of this, why not fully explain how those decisions were made? Mm. Yeah. Well, as we look uh, as we look to the future, what is your sense of of uh, uh, of our governing body and and the state of the of the uh, uh, Trudeau uh, cabinet and and you know party at this point? I there's so much to watch for David. I we the last time we talked, um, Jane Philpott hadn't yet resigned from cabinet herself. That mm-hmm. is another huge loss, right? And when mm-hmm. she resigned, she was very clear about why she resigned, saying specifically that she lost faith in the government's ability to handle this issue. And if your two top cabinet ministers are saying that, I think that's that's a real problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we're going to have to bear in mind going forward. And there is still another cabinet shuffle now that will have to happen. And we're going to have to look ahead now to see who will be pulled off this time. So the last time there was a cabinet shuffle, it was a minor shuffle, and Maria Monsef was able to take on two roles. But there is going to have to be a new MP to fill in the gap from Jane Philpott to become for the Treasury Board, right? So we're going to have to see that happen. I don't know yet what the timeline for that is going to look like. And then we're also going to find out if Jody Wilson-Raybould will be able to come back and retestify. That is something that the NDP and the Conservatives are calling for. I think that many Canadians who are watching are frustrated because they know they're not getting a full story. Mm. And Member of Parliament Wilson-Raybould herself has said that she is willing to make herself available to come talk again. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's a, it's never uh, or unending story at this point in time. Now, I, I would say so. I, I think another another piece of the, of the fallout from this was uh, was when Trudeau attempted to get up to Iqaluit. His weather prevented him from getting there the first day, but the next day, of course, uh, when when he did go to to present the apology to the the Inuit, um, uh, Natan Obed uh, had something to say about the press conference and. Uh, and, and about the press itself uh, after that apology was made. He did. I think maybe it would be helpful if we talked a little bit about why this apology was given, because I think part of, at least to me, Obed's point was that this was about a humanitarian crisis, mm-hmm. and people seemed okay to just brush that aside and go back to SNC. Yeah. And so the federal government was apologizing for severe medical mistreatment of Inuit people who were suffering from tuberculosis from the 40s to 60s, Um, Thousands of people were displaced from their families. Many of them passed away without their families knowing they had died, and there are still relatives to this day who do not know where their family members are buried. Right. They're the members that were were brought south to be treated and and then passed away, uh, and and they have no no information on them, right? Exactly. Yep, go ahead. That's a big story. It is. And And, and the fact that you just pointed out, uh, and and Natan uh, uh, rightfully pointed out about that, Yes, there are, as he said, there are other stories going on. We understand that. But uh, mm-hmm. how about giving the story that uh, is, is being told here and these people uh, who some of them in their room are relatives that they're talking about and, uh, exactly. and for the, the media to, to just uh, not even acknowledge these people, to go right by them and just go after uh, more questions about the SNC-Lavalin affair. Uh, it was somewhat of a slap in the face to, to all of them. A slap in the face, and I, I've been thinking about this a lot, David, since because you're actually the one who mentioned it to me. I'd been traveling at the time of his statement, but I think the, the phrase that stuck out to me the most was, the Inuit who apologized today matter, this story matters, mm-hmm. it is a Canadian story, Yeah. right? And I was, we had the chance last week to talk about Bill C-92, which is an act respecting First Nations, Inuit, Métis children, youth and families, and Natan Obed was there for that. And I remember being very uncomfortable, David, because there was a press conference, and at the time, two people asked questions about SNC-Lavalin, two journalists. So the second question was directed at Minister O'Regan, and he asked, the journalist asked about SNC-Lavalin, and then another journalist followed up, and Ministers Carolyn Bennett, who is the Crown Relations Indigenous Minister, and then Jane Philpott, who resigned from Treasury Board, they were both there as well. And another journalist redirected the question to those two ministers. Mm-hmm. And I remember being very uncomfortable at the time because I thought, you know, this is a, this is a bill that's being passed that in order, in order to be passed, I'm sorry, that was a bill that was introduced, but in order to be passed, it would need royal assent. And there are a lot of questions, right, I think, about this bill. You mentioned the funding last week. Mm-hmm. And this is also a bill that could really change a precedent. And instead of asking about that, people were asking about SNC-Lavalin. And I think it was interesting that Natan Obed was at both events, right? So mm-hmm. here was another, this was a bill that was supposed to be about the children, right? The, mm-hmm. the Indigenous children and how we can, as a country, better care for Indigenous peoples in this in Canada. And instead of asking about that, people asked about SNC. And then a little while later, he's up north. And instead of asking about what this apology means and even how it can impact other humanitarian crises, it goes back to SNC. Yeah. And I think as journalists, this is obviously a big story, um, mm-hmm. SNC, but if we let it take over, we are missing other important stories. This legislation is an important story. The story of an apology, especially in terms of healthcare, right? We just had a huge story last year about core sterilization of Indigenous women. And I think the way you start to tell that story now is to look at other apologies for how healthcare has failed people in the past. Mm. 
But if you're not looking at it, then you can't tell that story holistically in the months to come. Mm-hmm. And so I think as journalists, maybe this can be a self-reflective moment for us. Uh, do you have any sense, um, like you said, you were in that, that room when, uh, with the, um, about the other issue, and, and mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if you have a sense from, you said you felt uncomfortable, but um, did you mm-hmm. see any of that uncomfortableness reflected in the faces of the other journalists? Did you get a sense from the other journalists that, that they were being directed to, you know, to go there or that um, they want to ask other questions, but maybe they were being directed to that, you know, to ask those questions. What, what is your sense of that? That's a really good question. I've only had my press pass since January, and I'm still trying to figure out myself who maybe I'd see at question period as mm. opposed to who I might see at an announcement of Indigenous legislation. I did notice that there were journalists who went and spoke with the minister privately after mm. to ask questions that more pertained to the bill. Mm. Um, I will say that I noticed that the leaders, the leaders in the room were very uncomfortable. Mm. Somebody asked at one point, how do you think SNC-Lavalin impacts um, reconciliation? And they asked that of the ministers. And then Clément Chartier from the Métis National Council said, well, why don't you ask us? We're right here. Ask us about reconciliation. <laughs> and, but it's a great point, right? Yeah. Like, instead of wasting the time. And I think that's the other thing for me where I was frustrated. I, I Like, Jane Philpott was not going to resign on the spot just because somebody asked her that, right? Carolyn Bennett was not going to suddenly sing a different tune. Mm. And I just think that was a question that could have been used to ask about this legislation and this bill that needs royal assent to pass because we should be looking at, can, like, is this a bill that's fit right now? Right. Well, these are all uh, good points you bring up, uh, Caroline. I appreciate, I appreciate that. It, listen, we're, we're running out of time. I'm just wondering if there's anything else you want to mention uh, while we have you on the line. Um, I would love to mention, so first of all, I did check Air India, and it was a sensory issue. That's what they said happened with that plane, so I did just want to follow up on that quickly. That's how we started our interview. But the other thing I wanted to mention here in Ottawa, the Assembly of Seven Generations, which is an organization that promotes culture and tradition and gives a spot for Indigenous youth to learn more about their own roots, is currently hosting a Canadian roots exchange. And so young Indigenous peoples from Fishing Lake Métis Settlement in Alberta are here on unceded Algonquin territory for the week. And then in May, youth from this area will be heading over there. Oh, nice. And they have a great week of programming here. I know that they spent yesterday getting a tour of the History Museum. They did some arts with the National Arts Centre. Today they're at Parliament Hill, and I actually think they're going to be kicking off a scavenger hunt downtown in a few hours. And the week is going to end with a community feast that all of these are going to make together Friday. Hmm. Wow. How many kids do you know? I don't know how many kids there are myself, um, but I will be chatting with the Assembly of Seven Generations, and I'm actually hoping to make it out to the feast Mm. um, at the end of this week. So that is something I will follow up with you on about. Okay, sounds good. Now, um, in regard to some of the issues we've spoken about today, uh, Mm -hmm. I just want to mention that tomorrow on Moment of Truth, we are going to have NDP uh, MP Charlie Angus on on the show. So that should be interesting. Uh, He's a a bit of an outspoken uh, fellow. So I think that will be uh, and and proved to be quite an interesting show tomorrow on Moment of Truth. Yeah, I think he'll be a great person to speak with. I know that he was... He's not on the committee, the House Commons Justice Committee, but he has been there. And Murray Rankin has given him some time to pose some questions. And like you said, Charlie Angus is a very fiery person. So <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I'm interested to hear what he'll say. Yeah, uh, he's, he always speaks his mind and isn't afraid to, uh, to uh, get right to the heart of the matter on, on issues. So uh, looking forward to speaking with him and uh, looking forward to your feedback, of course, always. Uh, and we're really happy to be able to get you on the line and be able to share this with our, our listening audience. 
Caroline, so thank you very much for doing this with us. Thank you for having me. Or should I say Nyawa and Miigwech and Monishi. Uh, so listen, uh, uh, thanks for all your work. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you coming on the show with us today to keep us up to date on what's happening in the Ottawa area. We'll have to leave it there, Caroline. So, uh, Caroline, and we'll talk with you again soon. Miigwech, thank you. Okay, take care. That was Caroline O'Neill from our Ottawa office online with us here on Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow on the show, NDP MP Charlie Angus. Looking forward to that. Thanks for listening.